from this day forward. You've heard those words many times, have you not? Can't go back, but we can move forward. Can't correct the stuff of the past, but I can move forward. To have and to hold for better or worse, hopefully for better, right? For richer, for poorer, hopefully for richer. In sickness and in health, hopefully for good health. We tie the knot and we do so with great hopes of a bright future. And uh, I've, I've tied a number of knots. I think I have three in the hopper for this year so far. Um, and I have some openings now that you've mentioned the Friday night gig. Um, um, but uh, couples will go through premaritals and they'll be starry-eyed and they're in love and it's, it's the way it ought to be. I would not want it any other way. And, and yet, um, when the reality hits, it isn't always for richer. Sometimes it's for poorer. And sometimes it isn't always in health. Sometimes it's in sickness. And we say we'll be devoted, but will we be? And you don't know that until you're in the middle of it. And I want to help you through that process today um, because it's, it's a wonderful thing to get on the other side of that and see the grace of God and your own character being built and what God does to you and through you if you'll stay into that commitment. So what happens when you, it doesn't go quite as you'd planned, when it doesn't go exactly the way you wanted it to go? What if, what if the jobs don't come your way and you're not as rich? What if the children that you have end up having special needs you never, never saw coming? Or what if you didn't have the children you thought you might have? Or what are, if you had five, but you really only planned on having three? I mean, whoops, uh, you can't take two back to the store, can you? Uh, well, kids, we've got some cutbacks here, and we're going to have to let a couple of you go. It just, it, that just doesn't go that well. And so uh, what if your spouse makes some bad choices? I want you to be real honest because this is Valentine's weekend and I want you to do the loving thing and that's tell your pastor the truth. How many of you have had a spouse who's made a bad decision other than marrying you? A bad decision in life. Just raise your hand. Yeah, it just happens, right? Just, why did you, why, why did you get that? Yeah, but it's going to be good in the long haul. Yeah, we'll never use that. And, and they just, okay, yes, dear, you know. And, and, um, I remember doing a premarital once, and I uh, would ask a question to the couple, and, and the guy would answer. He just was, he's just eager beaver. So after about three or four of those questions, I, I redirected the questions just to her. So what would you do? I'm talking to you now. What would you do? And I, her lips don't move, but I hear a voice, and it's, it's his again. And so I look over at him, and I said, I'm asking her, and so I asked her again, and so he answered for her again. And so then I went to the next question, and, and sure enough, she had this amazing skill of not moving her lips, but I could hear the voice, and it came coming from over here. And the third time it happened, I looked at her, and I said, do you see what's happening? And she said, uh, yes. And, and uh, I said, are, are you sure you want to marry this? That's what we do in premaritals. Are you sure you want to marry this? And before she could say yes, he said, of course she does. <laughs> okay, I'm putting 20 bucks down. This won't last a year, you know. So, 
because not every, my, my dad would say this, my dad's in heaven, he's, he, he married uh, lots and lots of people. And um, he would say to me early when I was early in pastoral, because I'd be working hard at a wedding plan and the ceremony and all that. And my dad would joke and say, make sure you tie a square knot, Dave. Okay, what's my alternative here? He goes, a slip knot, which isn't good. I go, is there anything, yeah, a noose. You could be tying them a noose. Okay, <laughs> don't give me these word pictures, dad. Square knot, square knot, square knot, as if you could control it, because you can't. You just can't. So what happens when there's conflict in the marriage? What happens when people over-talk each other, don't listen or only speak to hear themselves talk, or they wait for you to be done so then they can talk? I mean, what if you're in that kind of conflicted situation? What's that like? I take some great comfort from the, the psalmist. It says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. This is, these are God's people, which includes brothers and sisters in Christ who happen to be married. How good and pleasant it is. Good it is, it's, but it's pleasant when people just get along. For the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. There's blessing in this. You could just learn to get along. That's why you, when you marry, you don't want to marry just someone you love. You want to marry someone you like. There's a difference. You want to marry someone you can talk to, someone who could, you can listen to. You want to marry someone who will help you grow together. And, and I want to share with you what pertains to marriage today, but I want to share with you something that's, that's broader than marriage. It's about communication in general or conflict resolution in general. It's not exclusive to marriage because we, we need unity in all kinds of relationships because God designed you to get along. In fact, that, that opening prayer Sadiq offered was that you forgave us of our sins, that we, we are sinners, and that we, and that's the, the theological term is reconciliation. We were out of balance. We were, our, our checkbook was bounced before God, and he makes that right. He pays the debt of our sin, and he makes what was so wrong, so chaotic, he makes it right, and he creates peace. In fact, it says about Jesus that he is our peace. He broke down the wall. He took care of the sin issue. So not only could we have forgiveness, but we could have relationship. We could have, we could have this, this talk and listen with God, the creator, the father of heaven, of heaven and earth. And so only Jesus can provide that kind of transformative, life-changing kind of peace in your life. But oftentimes we live with a lack of unity. And, and I, so we need to just put that out there early on. Unity when we fight the wrong enemy. Sometimes we're fighting people when really there's a... a a war going on in our own soul. We believe that the conflict is out there. The enemy would love for us to fight each other just to keep from fighting the real enemy, which is Satan and his powers of this age. And Satan will use any kind of wall building or kind of conflict he can get his hands around just to create chaotic issues in your own family life and get you off of your message, which is that you are a graceful home, that you're a forgiving and a loving kind of home. Jesus put it this way, you, a house divided against itself, it just can't stand. It's not going to stand. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come apart. But that's not the only kind of uh, lack of unity. It's when we're driven by the wrong kind of motives. James put it this way, what causes fights, quarrels among you? It's, it's because you don't even ask God. And when you do, you ask with the wrong motives. You want it your way. There's self-interest and self-defense and self-centeredness. All those are about me. It's about self instead of the person you're related to. 
So we're driven by wrong motives, but there's a third, and it's when we use the wrong tactics. It's, it's your demand to be right. Paul said, don't you realize you're going to judge angels? He writes to the church in Corinth. Don't you get it? You, you're going to judge angels, so therefore, why do you have disputes with each other? Why, can't you just be, wrong and be okay, wronged and be okay about that? Solomon put it this way, a brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. When you get a buddy mad at you, look out, Solomon writes. And, and so you have to learn to fight fair, even in a, in a marriage relationship, even when you're in conflict in the marriage. And, and, but I think there's one more, and it's, it's this, this last one that I think hits um, uh, the DMZ, hits our area more than any other and it's just that we're overdone we don't have room for a lack of peace at home because everything outside of our home is so chaotic we're so rushed the deadlines are so driven the agendas are so strong and so when we're overdone smaller issues become larger right emotions rise quicker and then we say regretful things and then we just lose hope so what do you do well, I, I, let me just encourage you, several, several things you could do. And, and when you enter the conflict, understand this. God knows about this long before you and I do, and the fact that he knows about it, he can handle it, but he can do it if you give him the right to do it in your life. James put it this way, James chapter 1. If you have a Bible, go with me to James 1, and then, go, and then hold your hand in Ephesians 4. We'll go to Ephesians 4 in a few minutes. James chapter 1 reads it this way, verse 18. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Get that down, let that sink in. My brothers and sisters, these are to believers in Jesus Christ who know what forgiveness is and know what peace of God could be. He says, take note of this. In other words, mark this down. There's really three points to this. And I don't have to write the outline because James does it for us. Everyone, be quick to listen. Secondly, slow to speak. And, and, why, and then and slow to become angry. Watch your emotions. God wants your relationships marked with favor and peace. That's the kind of righteous life that he wants. He wants justice, but he wants that justice blended with a fair amount of mercy. And that will be productive to the glory of the Lord. Um, so, so, Go back to the text now. Mark this down. Everyone should be quick to listen. So you stop, number one, stop. Sometimes we just have to stop and breathe and listen. Listen to what God is saying about the issue. Listen to what your spouse is saying about the issue. You don't have to defend yourself. Just listen. Just take it in. Make sure you have all the info. Uh, take in the info because you want to know what is really happening. Does God have something to say about this? And if so, will I dial in? Will I listen to what God says? Or am I too busy trying to prove my point? The psalmist put it, if, uh, how can a young man um, cleanse his way, keep his way pure? How can he do that? By taking heed unto, the, unto your word. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Your word is a light to my path. I just have to take heed. I have to stop and, and listen carefully. Because if God's declaring the answer, then the, then the discussion's over. The discussion's over. And, and if there is a conflict, then the conflict is not is what's the right thing to do, but just a matter of how are we going to get this done? 
how do we how do we live before the lord out this command of the of the lord so stop and listen to what god is saying then to what my spouse is saying wonderful gift this spouse that we have and and so who balances your thinking who chimes in and gives you a different perspective Um, what perspective do they bring to the table that you desperately need because uh, pride and stubbornness and just selfishness will keep you from that Uh, proverbs 18 fools have no interest in understanding they just want to speak their minds isn't that the truth Fools just want to speak their minds, just want to get it out. They don't want to hear. They don't want to think about it. And, and so here's, here's what I encourage you to do. It's, it's, um, there's an art to this, and if you'll practice it, in fact, it's tell your spouse we're going to try this, and if this works, great. If it doesn't work, it'll be Dave's fault, okay? But, but when, when we get in a conflict, instead of, instead of responding reacting or emotively charging it or escalating it what we're going to do is before i begin to respond to you i'm going to restate what i think i heard you say you you don't love me when i isn't i i don't love you i just had to work overtime but i had dinner waiting for you yeah but i i had dinner waiting for you you didn't bother to come home well i'm, I'm trying to earn the extra money that we had to pay off and you're thinking, I'm working harder, and they're thinking, he doesn't care enough or she doesn't care enough to come home. And both of you have great intentions, but they're being, they're like ships that pass in the night, miss each other. See? So before you respond to that, you say, this is what I think I hear you say. And then behind that, what, what's the value to that? And because what will happen is this, we'll jump to what our value is and attach to that, okay? Have you ever, um, have you ever had an a interaction with a store clerk where they just, you just go, hi, and they go, mm, yeah, whatever. You ever had that? How are you? Good. Thank you. And so when that happens with me, I, I play both sides of the cash register. I go, hey, you... Hey, how you doing? Good to see ya. Yeah, I'm handing you money. <laughs> like, I'm income for you. And, and I hope you have a good day. And then if that doesn't work, I turn to the person behind me in the line and go, I hope they have a good day, if they don't want to talk to me. You try it for a while. You know, maybe you'll have better success. And you know what? You can maybe lighten that load a bit but sometimes people just respond to you with their value and you just need to help understand your value which is i'm grateful i'm grateful um so number one stop and listen and listen carefully number two be slow to speak watch for defensiveness watch for rationalizations keep a guard on our tongues Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. So ask yourself, um, when I'm slow to speak, do I need to say this? Do I need to ever say it? And if I say it, is this the right time to say it? Is this the right time to say it? Tim LaHaye in his book on the, on, on the art of marriage, uh, the act of marriage, he, uh, LaHaye wrote, uh, one of the rules in, in premarital with him is you, we never discuss finances after 9.30 at night. And do you know why that is? You're already tired, right? And then your emotions will jump, 
and you'll go to bed worried about the money, right? And it's true. It's a great rule to have. It's not a biblical rule. It's just a sanity rule. When is the right time to talk about something? Is this ever the time to talk about it? And should it ever be talked about? And then thirdly, be slow to become angry. Why? Because this doesn't bring about the righteous kind of life that God wants. So, uh, be slow to become angry. So ask yourself the question, what am I really angry about? And is this worth being angry? And am I responding in anger? Uh, And and then a, a question behind that is, am I responding to everything in anger? Because if I'm responding to everything in anger, then it isn't everything that's out there. It's actually me. Which isn't a marital issue. That's becoming a personal issue. But when you're married, it's going to become a marital issue. So be slow to become angry. So fight the urge to just pop off at the circumstance. And when you see it or feel it, call it for what that is. I'm starting to feel this way. And identify so you know what's happening. If you can identify it, you can kind of monitor it. This is, I'm feeling a bit agitated. So I, I need to verbalize that so then I can deal with it and help your spouse realize this is a value for me. This is a threat. This, this feels uneasy for me. So be careful as you walk through this. And you know what? Your anger may be warranted. There, there are lots of things worthy of getting mad about. But you want to make sure you get mad at the right things in life. And if we can identify what's flipping those switches for you all the time, then you're better able to understand yourself. Um, I've heard of families that just after, um, after a few weeks of watching the evening news together and they're talking to the TV. Anybody done that? Talk to the What? They did what? Okay, I think it's time to turn to some comedy or drama or weather or sports or Hallmark, anything. And you know, I don't want to be ignorant. Yes, but your blood pressure can't take the news right now. That's the honest answer. If it's all r- ratcheted up, you go find something else. Uh, I once knew of a guy that bought the morning paper on his way to the office. He dumped the front section. He would read the sports and the comics <laughs> because the front for him was just, just, it was all nasty to him. So he didn't even read it because it wasn't healthy to him. And he figured, I know enough already. I get enough by mistake. I don't need to do it intentionally to myself. So ask yourself, uh, what's flipping the switches to make me angry? Because and there are certain things worth being angry about, but if you can't solve them, if you can't kind of find resolution to them, and you can't help them along, then that may end up being help, uh, hurtful to your own self, to your own uh, uh, perspective. So ask yourself, have I lost perspective? Am I judging a motive? Am I projecting things I shouldn't be projecting? Um, Or do I have it all wrong? Or go back to the lack of unity. Am I just weary? Am I just weary? Sometimes for me, when I get weary and overworked with that kind of stuff, the best thing to do is to get away, push it away from my desk for a bit, go for a walk, go for a run, get out, breathe different air, and then come back. Sometimes... I get better perspective on it. Maybe you might be the same way. And all of that uh, from James is uh, just a mindset, a framework in which, an attitude in which you approach the kind of conflict. Now, what I want to do in these closing moments is I want to talk to you about uh, not just the mindset, but the hands-on. How do you actually talk through 
when you have communication issues. Because you're going to have them with your parents and your kids. You're going to have them with your boss, but you're going to have them with your spouse too. So uh, how do you do that and still keep Christ-centered and center-focused? Well, go to Ephesians chapter 4, and let me just tell you, uh, chapters 1 to 3, he actually talks about our redemption and salvation, what we have in Christ. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are, this is how you live out the Christian life. Chapter 4, he talks about communication. Chapter 5 will actually talk about the family. So chapter 4 is the, actually the prelude to family stuff. So he doesn't mention family right in chapter 4. But chapter 5, is, this is where he's headed. And so uh, chapter 4, verse 25. Let me just read it, and then we're going to break it down. And, and this is just how you go to school on, on how we communicate well. And by the way, some of us, some of us are going to go, oh, our family doesn't do that. Then what I, I'm going to encourage you to do is just announce that we're going to do this, and then you're just going to just quote one of these verses. We're going to do this from now on. And we're not going to let the anger stew and let the sun go down. We're going to, we're going to resolve this today or tonight, uh, find some kind of solution, because it's not going to be good for us to hold it in the long haul. Okay, chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully with your neighbor for all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Now verse 29. Do not let unwholesome talk come from your mouths, but only what is helpful to building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, what you have to remember is this. When Paul wrote this, he wrote this as a letter. He didn't put a chapter. You have the number five there now, right? My Bible says five. Big letter five, that's the chapter. But he doesn't write. You know, I, I don't write when I write to my kids. I don't write chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. I don't do that. We just write a letter to them. So keep reading. He says, so you, you're forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ forgave us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's how he wants us to communicate the way Christ did, laying down our lives for each other in a sacrificial, loving kind of way. So here it is. Here's kind of the Ten Commandments on communication. You ready? I'm going to hit these really fast. They're on the back of your notes. If you're a note taker, I filled it all in for you because I, well, it's a holiday. I'm just giving you bonus points right there. Okay? Are you ready? You can hang this up. You can put this in your office. Hang it in your office if you want or stick it in a book because you're going to need it and you're going to put it in, in the shelf at work so you could open it and go, okay, what am I? Number four? I need number four really badly right now. Number one is this, speak the truth in love. Therefore, put off falsehood, stop lying, and speak truthfully to your neighbor. That includes your spouse. Your spouse is maybe your closest neighbor, okay? okay? 
And why? Because we're all members of one body. We're all part of this. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So put off falsehood. Now, I need to stop right here. Um, and, and I need you to be honest with me. How many of you in your lifetime have lied to yourself? Okay, the rest of you don't even understand then. If you've not, uh, you, oh no, I never lied to myself. That was probably a lie right there. Okay? We lie all the time and mostly to ourselves. I can do that. Yeah. I can get that done. No, I can't. What am I thinking? Yeah. Uh, you, we lie, but mostly to ourselves. We are, the Bible would call it self-deceived. That's such an ugly word, so I just will call it lying. But I'm, I, you know what? Others of us in the room would say, no, I'm just being optimistic. No, you're not. You're being an idiot. But anyway, <laughs> I can't get all that done. Oh, yeah, sure I can. Yeah. No, we lie to ourselves all the time. And so when you read this, forget marriage. Forget everybody on the block. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Stop lying to yourself about who you are, what you're like, and how you relate, and your decisions in life. Put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, and you are the closest person to you. Any of you argue with yourself? Just me. A couple others? Yeah. You lose the argument? Yeah. I've lost the argument with myself. So, so... Every time you have to say, is that really the truth? Ask yourself, is that really the truth? Because I am going to be, I, I'm part of something larger, the body of Christ. And every time, all the time, I have to tell the truth. And so it, it, it becomes second nature. So I don't ever even think about not telling the truth. And grace plays a part in this and timing plays a part. But our, our homes have to be places where you can unpack the truth. And even your, the truth about how you feel. Let me stop right there. Your home needs to be a place where when one of your kids walks in and says, I feel this way, saying, well, stop that now. It, it, that doesn't work. doesn't work. What, what we have to do is figure out what's behind that feeling. Number one... Thank you for telling me about your feelings. Number two, what's behind that feeling? I just feel rushed. When I go to geometry class, I feel behind. And what does the teacher say? But your grades seem to be good. Oh, yeah, but I'm, I, I can't keep up. And let them be honest with you because that's helping them be honest, keeping them from burying it. Does that make sense? Keeping them from burying it. And it helps to promote honesty in the relationship. Give them no reason to want to lie to you. Speak the truth in love. Number two, control yourself. In your anger, do not sin. Notice it does not say never, ever, ever be angry. No, there's a time to be angry. There's a time to love. There's a time to be angry. You shouldn't have a lifestyle of anger. You don't want to be known for that, nor do you want that acid in your system. But there are moments when you need to be riled about things that really are, you value. So watch your emotional gauges as if you had a dashboard the intensity and passion and fervor need to be within healthy boundaries of communication, even anger. The Apostle Paul is known for strong words, the guy who wrote this passage. Even disputes, even division. He knew what it was like to have friends that he was in conflict with. 
John the Baptist in conflict with people. Abigail married to Nabal. Nabal, the Bible says, was an angry, deceiving, drunken fool. So when you say, you know, I, I don't have a good marriage, you are not the first. You will not be the last. Be honest with yourself about it. Understand others have survived, you will too, but control yourself. Just because they're angry doesn't mean you have to become angry as well. Control yourself. In your anger, don't do the sinful thing. Don't do the stupid thing. Number three, stay current. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. I, I hope you get that. Don't let the sun go down, which means don't let the day get past you. Sometimes we're tired and we just need to, to some perspective. But if you let that thing brew, it's not going to get better. And if you let it brew, you will go to verse 27 again. You will give the devil a foothold. You'll give him a place in your heart you never meant to give him. I, I can't emphasize that enough. You open yourself for a foothold of Satan, and Satan will use that on your family eventually. And Satan is a fool and a liar and a thief, but he is a sneaky, sly fool, and he'll find some way to entangle you, and this could be one of those ways. So stay current. Number four, attack the problem, not the person. Don't let unwholesome talk come from your mouth. Do not let unwholesome talk come from your mouth. Some of you need to put that in a plaque in your office. And um, you don't have to put the reference up. You say, oh, I can't put Bible up. Just, just put, don't let unwholesome talk come from your mouth, and then just put someone once said. That's, you'll, know, you'll know that was Paul. Okay? You don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to be an idiot. You don't have to be bad. You don't... One of the best, one of my heroes, this guy named Tony Dungy. You, you, you need to love him, but you, I, you, I don't love him because he played for Pittsburgh for a while. But I, I, I forgave him of that. And he went through hard times. He's had hard times. He got fired as a coach in the NFL and then went to another team and became a, a, uh, a championship, it became a championship team. But he, get, he got fired, he, he'd be, he had great family, but his family had trouble. And if you know anything about Dungy, believer in Jesus Christ, and I hesitate to even mention because I don't want, you know, something bad will happen. You know, well, that's a bad illustration. But you know what? He's a human guy, but he would sit down with his players and say, you hear this voice? This is as loud as I get. I'm not going to yell and scream at you, but when I say what I say, I mean what I mean. He was a great coach, a guy of great integrity. And... Because of that, there's no, there's no vile stuff coming out of him. And this is a guy who had reason. He'd been treated badly as a coach earlier. And then he proves himself to be a great guy and a godly man, a good husband, good father. But it doesn't turn out perfect with his kids either. And yet, no unwholesome talk comes from his mouth. I never hear the smear. He never screams up and down a field. What a great example. So attack the problem, not the person. When you attack the person, you see, when you attack the person, they can't change their identity, the person. When you attack the problem, they can change the behavior. 
and they can change the behavior in such a way that you say, okay, that's resolved. So always go after the behavior or the outcome, not the identity of the person. By the way, that's what Christ did for you. He actually changed your identity to make you one of his own. And so for that, we will always give people second chance. In fact, we were just talking among our family. It's one of the things I love about SBC is that we'll give people chance here and another chance and another because it's a grace-based place. So number five, speak to build up, not to tear down. Speak to build up, not to tear down. When you speak, you speak to build others up, Ephesians 4.29. A great question to be asking is this. Um, will this, will this be helpful? Do I create a new future with them? Do I give an optimistic message of hope? Do I project a better outcome? Uh, in, in other words, I have wrong behavior. We need to correct that. And, and when I correct that, then what you have to do is then project, instead do this, and then by giving them a pathway, what you're doing is giving them an option, a pathway out of that, because your words can destroy them or your words could give them a new direction, a different direction, a new kind of path. And so speak to build them up, not to tear them down. Keep reading verse 29. And you, when you speak, it's according to their needs. In other words, not you don't speaking for your own good, but to benefit those who listen. I don't speak just to let off steam. I don't speak just um, to spew on the people around. I speak with the idea that the listener is going to be benefited from this. So communicate with the listener in mind, not yourself in mind. We do this all the time with children. You'll change your vocabulary when you're dealing with a two-year-old, right? Yeah. Why? Because it's what they understand. Yeah. And we have to do that all the way around the family, even in business. You don't speak to just to hear yourself talk. Speak to be of help to the person, to project a new kind of future. Number seven, realize that this is a spiritual issue because in the middle of this, Paul says, when you're talking and you're listening and you're going through conflict and resolution and in family relationships, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because this is a spiritual issue and you were sealed for the day of redemption. You're one of God's kids. You're headed to get together to heaven. Therefore, you want to represent Christ well with your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your co-workers. And Satan will use your words and your body language to kind of curb or change that message a bit. So realize this is a spiritual issue. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't quench what the Spirit of God wants to do. Don't, don't twist what the Spirit of God wants to do because you're sealed. This is going to come back around. This is going to last for eternity. Realize this is a spiritual issue. So project hope when you talk. Number eight, be alert to collateral damage. You, you have to be aware. If, if we allow bitterness and rage and anger and brawling, slander, it, it's not going to be helpful. And, and those who've done that will tell me this. Yeah, I spewed it, and then I regretted it. You, you've had moments like that, right? I spewed it, got it out, and then I, I couldn't get it back. Um, and, and, and what you spewed was maybe in your heart, and maybe it was true. 
but what it does is it begins to dismantle or do irreparable damage to the relationship. So before that comes out, before bitterness and rage and anger comes out, ask yourself, is this really worth it? Is it worth it? And the answer is no, not usually. Not usually. This week I, I, I um, kicked on YouTube the, the funeral message that Pastor Tony Evans gave a couple weeks ago uh, for his wife, Lois, who passed away right over the Christmas season, New Year's season. And he, he preached from, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. And he said, Lois and I fought, and they weren't always a good fight. Isn't that interesting? Human. He goes, those fights weren't worth having because she's such a dear. And I thought, you know, isn't that true? And uh, he would go on to say, uh, everything that I've ever done in my life, her fingerprint is on it. And he has a stack of books, you know, to the sky. He's radio programs. and He's, he's, he's just everywhere. He's a wonderful, godly man. And she is a stellar woman of character. But in their conflict, that's what you have. You have two strong leaders. And he's saying, yeah, we're two strong leaders and both, oh, both of us want to be right. doesn't have to be. It's not worth fighting. Just not worth it. So be alert that bitterness and rage and anger, brawl, it's not, not something that has to happen. It, let it go. It is not worth it because you are brothers and sisters in Christ found it interesting too all the way through the funeral dr evans referred to her as sister evans isn't that cool it, so he loves her as his wife but she's his sister in the lord and um she's in heaven and out of the pain and um what what a great example they are of a long-term loving relationship just a wonderful thing you get a chance uh, watch the the funeral you can catch it online number nine check your attitude just check your attitude because your verbal and nonverbal cues will be speaking and oftentimes the nonverbal speaks more than the verbal and i believe that's why the apostle paul not only talks about your speech but he talks about your body language verse 32 be kind and compassionate to one another be kind if you err go towards kindness if you err, go towards compassion, thinking the nonverbal will speak more than the verbal. So give people room. And when people give you room, show appreciation that people are giving you room. When people give to you space, acknowledge that. Um, sometimes in the midst of a tense intense time where there's conflict as a husband wife and then you finally come to some resolution one of you needs to reach out to the other and say we're in this together okay and the sooner you do that the better off you'll be and um sometimes it's just a, a, a touching of hands or it might be a a hug it might be it might, it might be just a moment of silence where you, you just lay down the sword and say, you know what, I love you more than these issues could divide us. I want this more. 
Um, so check your attitude. Um, studies have t told us that you need, uh, Gary Smalley writes in a book, uh, Making Love Last Forever, you need eight to 10 non-sexual touches per day just to connect with your spouse. So just a hug, just a tap, a kiss on the forehead, doesn't matter, just something every day. And f for those of you who are touching, hugging people, you're going, yeah. And for those of you who just are like hand sanitizer people, you're going, no, <laughs> no. And so for you huggy people, love them. Give them air hugs. Just like that. Love you. It's okay. Find a way, though, to do the affectionate thing that speaks, remember, the language of the person who's going to receive it. Not your language, but their language. So they receive it well. And number 10, you've done great to hang on. Let your communication be seasoned with grace. Forgive each other. Why? Just as Christ forgave you. Know that <clears throat> you'll, you'll not ever have a perfect relationship. It just won't happen. You're human. People around you are human. Learn to let it go and, and learn that, that you are forgiven and I like what Rick Warren says. A great marriage is, is the union of two good forgivers. Isn't that good? It's so good. And just remember, too, that Satan would love to create a division between the two of you and then let distrust build and let resentment build and comparison and jealousy. And then he will, he'll hold that. He'll hold that. And he'll hold it... In, uh, as if it's a, a quiet kind of killer and he'll wait for just the right moment. But if you let that sit in the, in the back of your brain or in the back of your heart somewhere, and then one day Satan will bring that out just at the right time. And then he'll cause the train wreck that you never saw coming. So from this day forward, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. You and I cannot predict what the next days will have. What we can predict is this, but from this day forward, I'm committed to this. And I'm committed because there's a God in heaven who is committed to the relationship as well. And the one in me is, is greater than the one who is in the world. And we can be loving people. We just sang it a little bit ago because we stand amazed that he loves us, that he forgives us, that he never gives up on us. And so because of that, we can turn and be loving people as well. Well, I'm going to go, but before I do, I'm going to tell you one ministerial story. This is off the notes. Don't tell anybody I told you this one, okay? But even pastoral homes have conflict, and sometimes it's just not worth having, Okay? story goes like this there's this minister and he's been pastoring a church for a while and he has got a loving wife and you may not know it but the wife is the one who, you know she can't pick the church she goes to she's got to go to, <laughs> you get to pick where you go the pastor's wife can't pick she's she's stuck and uh, but she loves the guy and he's an he's an okay pastor but not great he's just okay and um so as the story goes she's going to go away with her sister for a couple days on a trip and so she says, honey, I'm leaving, and the kid, everything's good with the kids. We're all set to go, and he's going to have a good time. And she says, before I go, you just need to know one thing. And 
I have upstairs in our, in our bedroom, under my side of the bed, I have a little box. And under no circumstances do I want you to get in that box. And, and he said, oh, okay. I didn't even know it was under there. She said, I've had it there for a, a, a season now, a long time. But I just never say anything to you about it. But since I'm leaving town, you just need to know, don't get in that box. Give me your word, you won't get in that box. She, he said, okay. So um, his, the wife and the sister go away. And they back out of the driveway and they're, they're, they're leaving. As soon as they turn the corner, he runs upstairs and <laughs> crawls under the bed and pulls the box out. And in the box, there's a, a, an egg carton, kind of crazy. So he opens it, and there's like five eggs in there. Five eggs. Don't know what that means. But then there's a stash of money. I mean, a stash of money, wrinkled up bills. So he just starts counting them. Well, there's over $400. And there's five eggs and over $400 in this box. So he seals it back up again, just the way it was. He puts it back under the bed, just the way it was. And goes on, he can't figure it out. Five eggs, over $400, can never figure it out. Well, his wife and his sister come back after a few days being gone. They come back, hey, did you have a good time? I had a good time. She looks at him and says, you looked under the bed, didn't you? Uh, uh. I, yeah, I did. She said, I, I shouldn't have even told you about it. I shouldn't have even told you. Shouldn't have even trusted you. There, there goes the conflict right there. Shouldn't have even trusted you. A little bit mad, a little bit miffed. He goes, I, I'm sorry, dear, but I, what the heck is uh, eggs doing under our bed? And she said, well, you know how I have to go to church where you preach. I have to go there. And he said, yeah, I, I know, and I appreciate that. And she said, well, not every sermon of yours is all that great. Okay, so it's not all that great. You know, it's not, it, I have to be honest. Say, anytime that you didn't preach a good one, I would just say to myself, well, he laid another egg. And so she put an egg in the carton. And he goes, well, I've been preaching a long time. I only have five eggs? This is great. I've only laid an egg five times. She said, yeah, it's not too bad. He goes, well, what's the 400 bucks? She said, every time I got a dozen, I would just sell them. Just so you know, even ministerial homes have conflict. Okay? All right. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word and the gift of laughter. You put a new song in our hearts, a hymn of praise unto you, our God. And so may we live with joy with the people you give to us. Wife, kids, whatever it would be, or single, whatever it would be, the relationships that we get. May we enjoy them for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.